Are you ready to learn more about promoting play, defending childhood, empowering caregivers? Save 10% on professional development at explorationsearlylearning.com and support the show with the coupon code OOL. Click the link in the show notes to browse upcoming trainings. Hi, Candice. Hi, Annie. Ready to get out of line today? Yes, I am. (laughs) All right. So this is a new podcast called Out of Line. It's a podcast about stepping out of line, challenging the norms of schooling as we know it in our country, letting go of control for control's sake, and recentering the child. Uh, We thought it would be appropriate today to tell you a little bit about ourselves and also share our own um, process of de-schooling and what that term means. Uh, So Candace and I run a a center that we support families on their uh, journey to step away from the school system. So that means they are unschooling families who are into self-directed learning and self-directed education and finding their own path to um, learning without a school system involved. We have both spent a lot of time in the school system um, before starting this journey. So, you know, our, we are not experts on de-schooling because we're currently going through the process of de-schooling. Um, and today we're going to share what is de-schooling and how has our process gone and how can you start or how can we support you on your de-schooling process? And I think one of the things that Candace and I um, share in common is our, our kind of drive to do this work and to step away from schools. Um, so m- my role for the last kind of 10 years of my career has been more early childhood education. Part of why I found myself leaning into early childhood education is because it felt like we were still fairly protected from the pushdown of academics and um there's still lots of wonderful play workers and uh, people in the early childhood world that really value the idea of play and play-based learning and uh, all that the brain development and research around that shows is beneficial to kids. Um, And Candace has been more in the school system, but what we both agree on is um, encapsulated perfectly in this quote by Dr. Rima, Um, a Michigan-based educator who um, I saw this summer speaking about centering Black children in education. And one thing that she said really stood out for me, and it kind of encapsulated my why and how we've made our way into this work, stepping away from schools. And then she said, schools are not for children. They are for adults. Candice, what does this quote mean to you? Um... I feel that schools have consistently become a place where adults coerce children into meeting standards that adults have set. So um, the relationships are, are often not there. Children are often not treated with respect. Um, their needs are often not met. So it's a place where whether it's for the teachers, the administrators, the parents, where we're coursing children into learning what we think they need to learn. 
Yeah. And I think it's important to add there with the statement about what's happening in schools is I don't think we believe it's the, the, that there's uh, it's to the culpability of any one person or um, position, but it's really schools as a system because it's become so systematically um, and systemically the norm to, to have that kind of attitude, but we know they're really wonderful teachers within the system. We know they're really trying to connect to students, but there are some inherent parts of the system, like class size and, um, learning objectives and some of the red tape around administration and what's required of teachers that's limiting them from being able to focus on those relationships and really get to know their students as, as individual humans and their own individual human learning needs. And we've created this one size fits all kind of school system that actually really doesn't serve many kids who are within it. So we want to be sure to um, create a podcast here. That's not just for those already in the unschooling world or the world of self-directed education. Um, It takes many steps to get to a point where you're ready to walk away from the school system. Um, and you can do a lot within the school system to push back and, and start to embody some of these de-schooling principles. So let's talk about what it means to de-school. Um, I can share the definition as it is on Wikipedia, because I think that's a nice starting place. Um, so it's a term invented first by Austrian philosopher Ivan Illich. Um, and he says that um, it refers to the transition process that children and parents go through when they leave the school system in order to start homeschooling. So that's the basic where that term first came from. It's a crucial process that is the basis for homeschooling to work in which children should slowly break out of their school routine and mentality, develop the ability to learn via self-determination again and find interest to decide what they want to learn in their first homeschool days. Um, That definition is a little bit limited for us because uh, we think it it extends well beyond homeschoolers um, and people who don't always identify with unschooling. I also think that it um, that's kind of focused on the child where a lot of times you know, at, at first we also focused on the children and their de-schooling process when really it was our process um, and the adults process, whether it's the family members or the teachers. Um, and I think the adults have a much longer and arduous process to go through with de-schooling because we've been um, part of our society for longer. Definitely. I think it's important to note too, we've already said we are not experts in de-schooling because we have just really begun this process ourselves. Candace, you were working for school systems up until 2020? Yeah, 2020. So I was a teacher, elementary school, middle school, and I was also an administrator. So um, I have a a lot of de-schooling that I'm still working on. Um, Just a lot of expectations and beliefs that I'm still shedding. Mm-hmm. And I stopped teaching in uh, the fall of 2019. When I stopped teaching, I was working in a forest school program that had um, some of the 
principals involved with unschooling, but was still very much a uh, teacher directed program as far as rhythm and routines were uh, concerned. And then in March of 2020, we got together and, and kind of started, uh, continued, I guess, the process of opening our learning support system and, and center that we support families in. But um, where I was going was this, is that we're not experts, but we have a lot of experts that we rely on. So who are some of those experts that we can refer people to as we learn together on this podcast? Yeah, so we can put some of these links in our show notes too. So we have Akila Richards from Raising Free People, um, Malika Diggs, Eclectic Learning Network. They have a great group called Deschooling is a Thing. Um, the Agile Learning Centers Network, which we are a part of, that we have had, um, we're just so grateful to have so much support from them. Um, Iris Chen, Untigering. Anybody else? Uh, Francesca Liberatori. I don't know if I said her name right, but she um, can be found at Big Mothering on Instagram and social media. Um, Yeah, these are some of the people that we've really looked to to guide us as we go through this process and figure out ourselves and our own de-schooling. So we are doing our kind of deprogramming from school as teachers and parents because we also have our own children. So we're looking at this from both a family angle and um, an educator's angle. Mm-hmm. Um, so as educators or as what we call ourselves in our uh, center facilitators um, and parents, what have we been going through in our de-schooling process and how are we learning to release the expectations of school in our lives? Um, and I know for me, one thing is the timeline for learning. So in our center and in our um, environment, we have no timeline for learning. So if a child is age eight, we don't expect them to know all or have a checklist of all the things that they should, you know, should be or should have learned by the age of eight. So we think that children are going to learn naturally in their own timeline. And that's been difficult for me as a teacher because, um, you know, in the past there has been a really strict timeline. So Every child, by the time they graduate from kindergarten, should be able to know their letters and to read short sentences. And, you know, we have kids in our program who aren't there yet, um, but they're still learning and they're still learning so much beyond just that, uh, just that checklist. Um, so releasing that timeline for learning is one big de-schooling process that I've been working on. Well, and I'm going to interject here for a second to let everyone know, because we're getting used to our new format. So we're on zoom and we can see each other, but, um, this is a podcast that will be audio only. So you don't all see the fact that Candace put air quotes around the word should a few times there, what kids should or shouldn't do. Um, obviously that's something that, um, has kind of been arbitrarily set up in our country, right? Oftentimes these policies, um, that, drive education, things like common core and the laws around, um, uh, uh, what are the standardized tests, 
that kids have to take, those are made by people who aren't necessarily educators or experts in child development. Um, so when we say that kids should do things, you know, especially in these days, when you've got such a wide variety of, um, you know, kindergartners, we've got parents who are keeping kindergartners home for an extra year before going. And, you know, that kind of idea of quote unquote, red, red shirting your kindergartner. So some kids are coming in as six-year-olds. Some kids are coming in as four-year-olds. Some kids are coming in with preschool in their background. Some kids are coming in with not a day of school uh, or childcare. And so this range of kids entering kindergarten is all supposed to leave kindergarten, knowing the same set of information and, uh, you know, kind of passing grade criteria, um, cause we are grading kindergartners these days. Uh, so yeah, so it is interesting to think about if we shed that idea of what needs to happen by a certain age. I think you told me Candace only last year, um, as my own kids to be transparent, my own children are in a school system. They go to our neighborhood public school. So this year I'm, I'm, uh, really trying to find the happy medium between how I can unschool as a parent and advocate for my kids within a school system, but also um, honor them as individuals. And so learning more about the school system itself has been really interesting to me because as um, I said earlier, I haven't been in the school systems for many years of my education journey as an educator. Um, But I think you mentioned to me that students need to be in the 50th percentile of reading or math standards by map testing um, by, uh, what is that? What, tell me what I only wrote down a partial quote in order to pass or in order to go forward in their grade. What was that? Um, Oh, I don't remember that. I know, you know, and we have a new law, the new reading law for third grade. Is that what you're referring to? So Michigan put in a new reading law for third grade. Um, and in order to pass on to fourth grade, they need to be in a specific percentile. Mm-hmm. And I think like there's so much of these kinds of things that um, drive what happens in a classroom in a certain age range, right? So third grade, the um, there's so much more reading on a third grade standardized test, right? So that's why we really are pushing. And I say we, the school system is pushing children to be fluent readers by third grade so that their test scores reflect that and they can get them done faster. And it shows more accuracy. Um, It's not really about caring that kids can participate in a literate world and be literate thinkers and, and beings in our world. It's about test scores. That's driving that pressure to have kids reading by grade three, right? Yeah. So if there's no standardized tests, because, you know, we're hopefully pushing back on the system a little bit or you're homeschooling or your child is in an uh, unschooling center, then they don't need to be reading at a certain age. They don't need to read until they're ready or the, the reading, their reading fluency can be whatever is their level of fluency at the time, because they don't have to read fast to finish a test quickly. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I think reading is such a great like place to just wrap your head around what de-schooling can look like and what de-schooling is all about, because there is such an insane amount of pressure on parents to have their kids reading young, right? Like there are people out there who are like bragging that their two-year-old is, is reading full novels and whatever. And there's some pressure that we've created within society and, and most likely directly from the school system that kids need to read by a certain age, or they're just doomed for life. And we know through, uh, you know, learning from other unschoolers and self-directed learning advocates that that's just not true. And that learners can learn to read as they are ready and as they're motivated, right. By interest or need, um, the motivation comes intrinsically and, there are also a lot of advantage to living in a world without being a reader, right? You can be a much more um, effective auditory participant. You might be more musical. You might be learning other languages. Uh, but yeah, de-schooling just by eliminating that age limit around reading and watching the actual natural process that occurs with readers Um I don't know, Candace, you're a literacy specialist. Does that feel like something uh, particularly like driving for you as, as far as your um, process of de-schooling and unschooling has happened? Yeah. I mean, even with my son, he has, he's really interested in math and not so much interested in reading right now. And he's four turning five. And this is the time where I think like, well, if he was going into kindergarten, like he would go in knowing some letters, but he would be, he would be air quotes behind. Um, and yeah, I think that there's just so much pressure put on kids to read and especially when they don't, there's no purpose behind it. So when a teacher um, is giving a child a worksheet, and asking them to complete a worksheet. There's not a lot of purpose behind it. But then, you know, what I've noticed in this process of de-schooling and letting that go is that when there is purpose behind the reading, a child will learn to read so quickly. And they don't need three years to become a fluent reader because they're motivated to become a fluent reader and they're developmentally ready. And it happens so quickly. Well, and so, okay, you say purpose around the purpose to read. What, like, what could that be? Is it like your kid needs to go grocery shopping and so they need to make a list and, and buy the stuff? Or um, like, what do we see in our center lot? I mean, the kids per- having a purpose around even playing Minecraft and they have to spell things, talking in chats and they have to spell things and talk to other people that way, making signs. We have a lot of signs that get put up and invitations that get made in our center for reading and writing. Um, oh, a music. We have some kids who love writing songs and um we heard from a parent the other day about uh, Dungeons and Dragons and how her son was struggling to write and she was starting to um, have concerns around him, his writing skills. And then all of a sudden he's really into Dungeons and Dragons and he has this purpose of making a character. And now he's writing. She said he wrote eight pages about his Dungeons and Dragons character. So that doesn't sound like a teacher driven goal. Yeah, it's not. It's always a child-driven goal. So things like 
Dungeons and Dragon, Pokemon, video games, they can all be a purpose. They can all be like a purpose of interest or need as far as a child is concerned for wanting to learn to read. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean like pick up a novel and start reading. It doesn't mean like you're stage one early readers. Okay. Now I've graduated to stage two. I've never met a kid who's thought like that. Um, you know, or like, oh, that book's out of my reading level. Like teachers go through, you know, hours of work to codify what level reader certain books are and things like that. Um, down to the point that there are like hundreds of levels of books. I just realized this recently, like you can look up any book and find out the number associated with it. And it's insane how many numbers of levels of reading books there are. Um, and I don't know any kid who's like, Ooh, that's a BR 400 and I'm only a BR 250. I can't get to that book reading level. And I know that's not the purpose of those numbers. That's for educators. I get it. I get it. But at the same time, yes, I like, I like the idea of kids, um, falling in love with learning and learning because they want to, or because they, they feel the need, whether it's, you know, it doesn't always have to be like a true, um, need, like they're not necessarily the only grocery shopper in their house and they need to get the groceries, but they have a desire to learn how to read because it helps them communicate with the people and world around them. Uh, and that's something we don't have to quantify as adults. Yes. And so that's, that's our no timeline for learning. There's no timeline for reading. There's no timeline for math. We've heard from grown unschoolers that, um, They've been able to learn everything they needed to learn in four years of high school in just a few months. And um, yeah, so there's no timeline. Um, The other big one is changing the expectations of what learning looks like. Okay, tell me more about that. (laughs) So in schools, we think learning looks like sitting down in a desk um and it looks like some sort of product and product and that has been really difficult for me in my unschooling process thinking about all the ways I see all the ways the children are learning without an end product but I still for some reason just really want like a big, I want a big project with a big reveal and a presentation and a PowerPoint or, you know, some sort of end product to prove their learning. But really, those products are just to prove their learning to the adults in their world, right? Totally. And I think that was a huge struggle for us in our first year of operating a learning center that supports unschooling families, because we had a lot of families who weren't necessarily unschoolers or were very, very new to the de-schooling process as we were. And I think we all thought like, there's going to be some sort of product we'll be able to polish up and show that even though we don't have class structures, the way a typical school building does your child has learned and here's how evident it is. But yeah, like learning is happening all the time with or without us trying to measure it, right? Like, it's like the joke, like it does a tree, if a tree falls in a forest and no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? Like if you're not measuring, if you're not proving it by taking a test or 
having an adult quantify what that learning looked like to them is learning happening. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's been big and that's something I'm still going through because I still like even go backwards a little bit like, okay, we just learned this. Now where's the worksheet that I can send home? How do I wrap it up in a neat bow and send it to your parents to show all that you've learned here? Yeah. Um, Well, and it makes sense, right? That a system that is especially a system that's receiving money from our government or from whatever funding source, whether it's a private school or public school, um, they're receiving money from somebody who wants some accountability that their money is going to something. So then we feel that we have this obligation to prove that learning happened. And the only way we know in our society right now to prove learning has happened in a systemic way is a grading system, right? Like we have to put a, 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 we have to quantify it somehow. We have to put a number on it to say like, yes, this learning happened or no, this learning didn't happen. And I think again, somewhere where we, you and I have agreed that it doesn't matter is that we know that there are school systems out there who are not proving that they're learning or that the children in their systems are learning. So then what's the point of even having a school system where you have to quantify the learning? If you quantify the learning and every time it's coming back saying they're not learning, right? (laughs) Like, so, you know, in that same session by Dr. Rima that I attended this summer, she also referenced um, schools in Michigan and how the families have schooled, have sued the school district. I think she said three times because they're sending their kids to school and their, their kids still aren't able to read. Um, so what is the point of sending them to school and having them not be able to read? If, if school is supposed to teach them how to read, what's the problem? What's the disconnect? And then, um, you know, the point of us stepping out of line is that you don't need school to read. You don't need to quantify it. You don't need to put a timeline to it, an arbitrary timeline that says by grade three or by age eight or by age five. Um, and even some of the best play-based early learning centers or early child care um, programs out there still, I think, feel this obligation to parents to measure so you can have a great play-based school, but then they're like, okay, now we're going to do assessments tell me what this letter is. <laughs> and, and then they still send that home somehow. And it's like, put, put this idea into parents' head. Um, and I think we're doing it as educators and setting up this idea that um, there's an expectation of what needs to be learned and by a certain age. And we just know truly in our hearts that that's not the case. Like there's no linear form of learning. And and there's a general timeline of like, kids seem to be interested in learning how to read somewhere between age five and age eight. Um, But that's not always the case, right? And that's not, it it can't be standardized. And what does it do? You know, I'm just reflecting on also for the child, like, what kind of pressure it puts on the child when we have the sense of urgency around their learning and they're not ready and you know what it does to their confidence and their feelings of being a natural learner and their feelings of you know their ability to learn on their own hmm. and who they're learning for right like again it comes back to that motivation are you motivated to learn how to write because you want to send your friend across the 
weigh a note, um, or are you learning how to write because an adult in your life has told you it's time to learn how to write? Um, very interesting thoughts here. And I think this is going to be a really fun thing to explore together throughout the course of this podcast out of line. I think, um, we'll continue exploring this idea and concept of de-schooling in our next episode. Thank you. Thanks for listening. See you next time. It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Explorations Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.